Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. London today is a bustling metropolis, an exciting place to visit and a somewhat safe place to call home. An eclectic mix of people from all over the world live in London, and the crime rate is dropping year on year. In some parts of this vibrant capital, the crime rate is lower than that of much smaller cities in other parts of the UK. However, things haven't always been so safe. Stories and tales of old have echoed around these streets and grown to become that of legend, particularly those of gruesome nature. Today we'll be exploring one of those stories and discovering about London's often bloody past. My name is Nikki Druce and this is Macabre London. In 1910, a murder mystery gripped the world. A scandalous love triangle between a doctor, a showgirl and a receptionist turned deadly, creating one of the most notorious cases in crime history. With a body discovered in a cellar, the two prime suspects on the run and in disguise, the police were desperate to hunt them down, even if that meant chasing them across the ocean. But were they really guilty? This time on Macabre London, we uncover the case of the infamous Dr Crippen. Edwardian London was a thriving place to be. In the period after Queen Victoria's death, Britain was booming, and before the horror of World War I had begun, London seemed a prosperous place to migrate to. Harvey Hawley Crippen and his wife Cora 
made the long trip from New York to London and set up home, both finding their own very different paths in occupation. Hawley was a certified homeopathic doctor in America and gained his qualifications at the University of Michigan and the Cleveland Homeopathic College. After several attempts at securing a standard GP's job, that's a family doctor to our American listeners, and failing, he turned to a career in quack medicine, making questionable cures for the sick and infirm of London's residents. One letter auctioned in 2015 states that Crippen was able to cure deafness and, quote, noises in the head by use of appliances and accessories, along with a specially chosen course of remedies which should have been bought by the patient without delay to avoid further decay. Cora had transferred her burgeoning career in musical theatre over to British soil. Cora was more widely known by her stage name, Belle Elmore. Belle had secured some stage time at a number of music halls in London and began making friends across the circuit, even though her talent was questionable. She quickly amassed a tight-knit group of friends behind the ornate Edwardian stage doors and soon began taking on extracurricular activities with her fellow players. Before Crippen met Cora in New York, he lived in his birth town of Coldwater, Michigan, where he married Charlotte Bell, an Irish immigrant who died suddenly from a stroke whilst pregnant with their second child. Shortly after Charlotte was laid to rest, Crippen gave custody of his four-year-old son, Otto, over to his now California-based mother and father, packed his bags and left town to begin a new life as a doctor in New York. It's not quite documented how the odd pairing of Cora and Crippen began, but the flamboyant 19-year-old Cora met the mild-mannered 30-year-old Crippen, and soon the two were said to be madly in love and married quickly after only a few months, a decision both of them would live to regret. Have it your own way. Now I'll sing you down at the old bull and bush. <clears throat> Will you give me a chord in G, please, Mr. Conductor? All right, so. Come, come, come and make eyes at me down at the old bull and bush. Come, come. After Crippen's homeopathy practice, failed to bring in the type of money Cora was expecting to fund her dreams of becoming Belle Elmore full-time. She suggested the two make the trip across the pond to find their fame and fortune there. Cora was enterprising and soon learned that the quickest way to make money without a standard nine-to-five job was to rent out a room in their four-storey townhouse at Hilldrop Crescent. Hilldrop Crescent was just like any other Victorian house along the tree-lined street in Holloway in North London. It was semi-detached, had an imposing brick frontage, large wooden sash windows and a large 39 painted upon the front door frame. The small white wooden gate, nestled in between cast iron fleur-de-lis fence toppers, protected a tree next to the house where it sat above the cellar window. The Crippins, even though they were short on money, managed to invest and bought the house, turning it into an office for Crippin where he could carry out some extra jobs here and there and where Cora would have space to host the parties she loved. The house was also rented out to short-term lodgers, and it was through these lodgers that the Crippen's marriage was to be thoroughly tested. Cora was earning herself some admirers on the circuit due to her magnetic charisma and soon figured out that in return for her time and company, 
Men were willing to shower her in gifts of furs, jewellery and, more importantly, money. Cora was keen to keep her admirers sweet, so they would continue bestowing lavish gifts upon her, so she would often host soirees for several men to attend at Hilldrop Crescent, and one of these admirers also became a lodger at the house. Crippen had taken up a job at the Munion Paintant Medical Company on New Oxford Street, where he specialised in ophthalmic and otolaryngology. That's eyes and ears for you and I. It was at his new job where he hired a receptionist and secretary who would assist him with his work and carry out the important role of contacting his patients. 17-year-old typist Ethel Leneve from Dis in Norfolk had moved to London to pursue the better opportunities there. London was forward-thinking when it came to women in the workplace, and with the suffrage movement making waves and protesting for better rights, job opportunities were improving for young women like Ethel. Crippen hired her in 1900, and it wasn't long until their professional relationship became unprofessional. The two began an affair, but at first were very reserved with each other. Crippen respected his wife in the way that she respected him, and they both had affairs, but they were never consummated. That is until Crippen came home from work early one day in 1903 to find Cora in bed with the admiring lodger. Soon after this discovery, Crippen decided it was time to consummate his relationship with Leneve. Cora and Crippen were becoming further and further removed from each other as time went on. So he took on more of a management role for Cora, securing her shows around London. This could have been a way to keep money coming into the household. It could have also been a way to keep Cora's admirers gifting to her, or it may have been an easy way to keep the increasingly unruly Cora out of the house in the evening when Crippen would be at home. In 1906, Cora had realised that her dreams of becoming a successful music hall star were starting to wane. Music halls at this time were becoming more interested in sideshow-style acts such as strong women, sword swallowers, and the ever-so-easy riding a unicycle across a tightrope while playing the trombone. The average talent of Cora couldn't compete, and she decided to take a bit of a backseat with performing, but kept her hand in by joining the Music Ladies Guild, a charity set up to help those who worked in the music halls should they fall upon hard times. By 1908, Cora and Crippen's behaviour was becoming incredibly blatant to friends and co-workers. They were now acting more as housemates than a married couple. But this was not without outbursts from Cora, who was increasingly turning to drink to cope with her stagnant and frustrating home life. With neither of the pair capable of being financially independent, it seemed that the only way to deal with the situation was to sit it out or for one to leave. Both being as stubborn as each other, they stayed together, but almost without speaking throughout the last year of their relationship. As tensions heightened in 1910, something had to give. On January the 31st, 1910, Cora threw a dinner party at the house for the Martinettis, a couple who were retired music hall artists and close friends of hers. The Martinettis reported that Cora was in good humour and that they had the most marvellous evening that ended in the early hours of the morning, when all were slightly worse for wear. This was the last time they, or anyone, would see Cora again. 
As part of her regular duties with the Music Ladies Guild, Cora was scheduled to attend a meeting on the 2nd of February, but to her colleagues' concern, she didn't arrive. Cora was known to be very punctual and communicative when it came to her commitments, so when Cora didn't arrive or send word, people started wondering what had happened. A handwritten note was delivered to the secretary at the Music Ladies Guild, which said that Cora had returned to America to care for a sick relative and had no time to inform the Guild of her plans to leave due to the haste of her exit. The note was unusual in that it was written in handwriting that wasn't instantly recognisable as Cora's, but the secretary put this down to the speed at which she had to leave. On February the 20th, Crippen attended the annual Music Ladies Guild Ball and rather boldly took along Ethel. With friends of Cora's knowing that the married couple's relationship was prone to affairs, no one really paid much attention and just assumed that Crippen hadn't wanted to attend on his own. The two drank copiously all evening and danced the night away. Friends of Cora's did notice something slightly odd about Ethel, though. A piece of jewellery she was wearing was something that had distinctly belonged to Cora. As months began to pass, friends of Cora's grew suspicious, as they knew she would have written, even if she was busy caring for a relative. Kate Williams, who was better known as her stage name, Volcana, was a strong woman and a close friend of Cora's. The two had shared the stage space, and often performed on the same bill, with Cora singing averagely and Volcana lifting men above her head. A strange pairing, but the two did look out for each other. So much so that Kate made a trip to Hilldrop Crescent to question Crippen about her friend. When she knocked on the door, it was answered by Ethel. As more and more people reported seeing Crippen with his new lover, who was often dressed in Cora's clothes, it seemed it wouldn't be long before the people expected answers as to why Cora was yet to return to the Marisol home. Crippen began to circulate a note to Cora's inner circle, saying he had received news of Cora's untimely passing while she was staying in America. It was then that Kate visited Scotland Yard. Walter G was a police officer with the London Met. He'd joined the police force at the age of 19, and by 1910, at the age of 47, he was looking forward to his impending retirement. G was well respected in the police force, having made his way up through the ranks, and at one time being an officer that patrolled the streets of the East End, cleaning up a mutilated victim or two during Jack the Ripper's murder spree of 1888. But his final case was set to be one that would be the cherry on top of a glittering career. After G was approached by Kate and a few other friends who were concerned for Cora's well-being, he agreed that he would attend Hilldrop Crescent to chat with Crippen and to discern whether there was any truth in the rumour that Cora may have been murdered. Jew went to the house and noted that upon entering that it was neat and tidy and that everything seemed in order. No apparent sign of anything untoward had happened and Crippen was amenable to his questioning. Jew informed Crippen of the visits he had received at Scotland Yard from Cora's friends and how they were concerned for her well-being as they had received no word from any family in America as to her supposed death. Crippen explained that he was actually embarrassed about the whole situation that had happened between him and Cora. He confessed to having lied about Cora needing to leave on family business, but instead that she had decided to leave Crippen and their marriage behind for a new suitor as the two were no longer in love. Crippen said it was easier to make an excuse than to have the pity of others thrust upon him. Jew was appeased by Crippen's story and returned to Scotland Yard to update the concerned gang of friends 
but there seemed to be no foul play. Suspecting the jig may be up, the next day Crippen and Leneve made a hasty exit from London and headed to Brussels, where they spent the night before moving onward to Antwerp to board a cruise liner, the SS Montrose, to Canada. Crippen and Leneve were soon noted as being missing when they didn't arrive for work, and as Crippen's office happened to be in the same building as the Music Hall Ladies' Guild, it wasn't long before Cora's friends were alerted to his disappearance. Jew was notified of the disappearance, and sensing there may be more to Crippen's story of betrayal and adultery, he attended Hilldrop Crescent again. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And found it to be deserted. He searched the property with a few other officers and noticed that for a woman of Cora's known eccentric dress and love of clothes and jewellery, that she had taken very little of her belongings with her. And there were also no letters to be found from her in the house, or any sign that she packed anything at all, with wardrobes still full and shoes upon the floor. Officers were ordered to carry out a thorough search of the house, and on inspecting the cellar they found a loose flagstone on the floor, which to the untrained eye would have been easily overlooked. The officers lifted up the loose stone and were hit with the unmistakable sweet, fetid stench of rotting remains. A body, well a part of a body, was found, wrapped in a pyjama shirt and buried under a small pile of dirt. The hunt was now on to track down the fugitives and to arrest Crippen, but tracking the two down would not be easy. Jude did his best over the next few weeks to alert the Edwardian public to the case of the Crippens, and once the press got involved, the story became sensationalised by the press. The murder mystery was there to be solved, and the general public were on the lookout to catch the criminals. After the press issued a heavily doctored photo of Crippen, sporting a large beard, the public were now looking for a man who didn't much resemble the fugitive. However, the captain of the SS Montrose managed to see past the cut and pasted on beard, and had an inkling that Crippen may be on board his ship. The captain used the incredible new technology of wireless telegraphy to send a message to Scotland Yard. It read, Have strong suspicions that Crippen, London cellar murderer, and accomplice are among saloon passengers. Moustache taken off, growing beard, accomplice dressed as boy, voice manner and build undoubtedly a girl. On receiving the telegraph, Jew hopped on a faster boat than the Montrose to make it to Canada. He then hopped on another boat to intercept the Montrose and to board the ship to see if the man really was Crippen. To avoid being noticed, Jew boarded the ship at the next port but was taken to the captain's cabin where he waited for the fugitives to be delivered by the ship's staff. When Crippen saw Jew, he was strangely calm and also seemed relieved, telling him that 
the anxiety had been too much to bear. Dew arrested Crippen and Leneve, but was apparently kind and understanding to the pair. Ethel didn't want to leave the ship in front of the press with her face uncovered, and she definitely didn't want to leave dressed in her baggy boy's clothes that she had unconvincingly worn to cover her figure. Crippen also changed into something that was much more fitting to be in front of the cameras. He wore a large-brimmed hat and a coat with an incredibly high collar that reached up to his distinctive wide eyes, so only a few inches of his face could be seen. Once back on British soil, Crippen was sent to trial for the murder of Cora in October 1910. The jury heard the evidence leading up to Cora's disappearance, but also the subsequent tests that had been carried out on the flesh that had been found. Now is the time to skip ahead if you're in any way squeamish. The body that had been found in the cellar was not a body in the way that you and I would describe a body. There was no head, no arms, no legs, or any of the other viscera that one would expect to find when unearthing a corpse that had been rotting under a floor for a while. It was instead a sheet of filleted flesh that had been neatly wrapped and folded inside a pyjama top and then covered in quicklime, a substance that was known to dissolve flesh. The flesh was tested for other contaminants and shown to contain high levels of hyacine, also known as scopolamine, a drug used to treat motion sickness, which in high doses causes drowsiness. Crippen had ordered a high amount of hyacine from the chemist in the weeks leading up to Cora's disappearance. So much hyacine, in fact, that the chemist had to order the amount he requested in advance. The acquisition of medication in the Edwardian times was without restriction, and with limited knowledge of poisons and recreational use of a number of drugs which we now know to be deadly, this amount of hyacine would have simply been seen as just stocking up, which makes today's restriction on only being able to buy three packets of paracetamol at a time seem like a good idea. The defence for Crippen could definitely see the holes in the evidence that had been provided to them. If Crippen had gone to the trouble of poisoning and murdering his wife, disposing of her head, limbs and internal organs, then why would he leave a small amount of skin to be discovered? The prosecution were almost floored by this revelation, but the skin itself would present a mark that would prove to be convincing to the jury. The skin showed a line which was reportedly the same as one that Cora sported on her abdomen from a previous surgery she had undergone. The defence tried to save Crippen by saying the pyjama top the remains were found in weren't his and could be that of a previous tenant. However, the pyjama set itself was traced back to a purchase that Cora had made and gifted to Crippen, and the company that manufactured the pyjama top weren't actually in existence until after the Crippens moved into Hilldrop Crescent. Also, the corresponding set of pyjama bottoms were found in Crippen's bedroom, which was a coincidence too far for the jurors. After just four days of being on trial, the time had come for the jury to decide Crippen's fate. After a short 27 minutes of deliberation over the evidence, the jury found Crippen guilty of murder, and the judge sentenced him to death. Leneve was tried a few days after Crippen, and was certain she would suffer the same fate as her lover, but instead she was acquitted of being an accessory to murder, and was allowed to walk free.
as per the rules of execution at the time, which meant a man couldn't be hanged for three weeks after the end of his trial, allowing time for any wrongful conviction to be rectified. Crippen was said to be calm on the morning of his execution, despite hours earlier attempting to commit suicide by breaking his glasses and using the shards to try to harm himself. After he'd had some breakfast, he was walked to the gallows with a chaplain, and his executor performed the deed, which was said to be very quick. His body was buried in the yard of Pentonville Prison, and is said to be marked by a rosebush, as was customary for all executed prisoners to avoid the bodies being exhumed by disgruntled members of the public if they were buried outside the guarded walls. Leneve fled the country on the day of Crippen's execution, and moved to America, returning back to London a few years later, where she changed her name, remarried, and went on to have two children. Her children said their mother never told them about her unsavoury past. It was only after her death that they learned about her involvement with Crippen. As the years have passed after Cora's disappearance and Crippen's execution, many people have reopened the case to try and uncover new evidence and discover the real truth behind the crime. In 2010, a distant cousin of Crippen approached the University of Michigan to test the microscope slide which contained the suspected scar of Cora's that had been found on the folded flesh. After several different tests were carried out and DNA samples obtained from the relatives of Cora's, the slide showed that not only did the DNA have no correlation at all to the relatives of Cora, which in turn meant that it was not her remains. In fact, the DNA showed that the flesh had belonged to a man. So what did happen to Cora, and why did Crippen swing for her death, and become one of the most notorious murderers throughout London and UK's history? Were the remains in the basement those of Cora's lover? Did Cora perhaps commit murder and let Crippen take the blame? Did the police frame Crippen over mounting pressure from the public to provide answers? Or did Cora simply run away, and was the flesh in the basement a remnant of an operation gone wrong by the quack doctor? Crippen, Ethel and Cora made for an unlikely trio, and maybe this was what made him so renowned that his likeness was a fixture in the Chamber of Horrors at Madame Swords for years on end, serving as an archaic warning to tourists and locals alike. Perhaps his unimposing frame and mild manner made him the most relatable type of monster, and made believing he could be responsible for such a crime impossible. Crippen himself did state up until the end that he was innocent of the murders, and in his last letter, the final line he wrote read, I am still hopeful, and all may yet come right. Coming up next time on Macabre London. First and foremost, just want to say thank you so much for bearing with me for the last few months um it's been a whirlwind of moving house and getting things sorted getting my new studio set up um which still isn't quite there i'm still recording from my bedroom as we speak um so i'm getting there everything is getting sorted um so 
uh, normal episodes will resume from now on but I just wanted to update you with what will be happening with the episodes from now on so um, there will be one shorter episode and one full length episode so this was your full length episode so the next episode in a fortnight's time will be a shorter episode this is just so I have uh, more of time to actually research the episodes themselves and then put them up so um there's going to be a sort of a 10 minute episode and then a full length sort of 20 25 minute episode um every fortnight as usual from from now on so we are back to normal proceedings so thank you so much for bearing with me it has been a bit of a stressful time so um thank you for still staying subscribed i'm amazed that we have uh, so many subscribers and um you know you tell me all the time how much you like the podcast and that means so much to me and we have listeners all over the world now so we've got people in japan and australia and america and um you know good old blighty as well so i'm really pleased a few other things i just wanted to update you as well a little bit of housekeeping um so we now have a youtube channel so all the uh previous episodes and working on getting those um put into video format um and put onto youtube so uh the youtube channel is youtube.com forward slash carb london i will put it on our facebook page um and our twitter page as well and i'll also put it in the description box underneath this episode as well so um you'll be able to find the links for that so our facebook page is um if you just search for macabre london or it's facebook.com forward slash macabre london um twitter is at macabre london so um I, oh, actually i think we might be at macabre london pod but again i'll put it in the description underneath here we're also on instagram as well so instagram is macabre ldn um because you can't have a, a long name on instagram so uh yeah so macabre um ldn on there um and if you want to email uh, as well, um, I love getting emails from you guys. It's so nice to have chats with you and um, had some amazing um, emails from people with follow-ups on different episodes. Uh, one which was our last episode, which was uh, Trains, Pain and Underground Squeals, the Northern Line edition. Um, somebody actually emailed me to uh, to say that they uh, knew Les Newsom, who was the guy that uh, sadly drove the tube train into the wall at the, uh, the end of the platform um which was which was really good um and said things about his character and stuff and um you know uh kind of followed up um on that but what i'm going to do is i'm going to put extra things like that over on our patreon as well um so again i will put that in the episode description um so you're able to catch up with things on patreon patreon is a great way to support the show um this is free content so it does come out as a way to uh basically you know entertain you guys so if you you do have some a couple of quid to spare and you want to bung that to keep the show going um over on patreon then that would be great but no problems at all if you can't i, I totally get it um so feel free to uh to to do that but again i'll put the link in the description um underneath the 
episode. Um, so that's it. So next week we will have a shorter episode. I'm not quite sure what it's going to be on yet. So probably a couple of uh, shorter bits of history. Um, dark as usual. <laughs> you know what I like. I know what you like. <laughs> so it will be something just as spooky. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to give you a little update and um, to say hello and thanks for getting in, in contact. Oh, and that email address as well is uh, macabrelondon at hotmail.com. So feel free to send us uh, um, a uh, an email through there or just pop onto Twitter and say hi um, or Facebook um, and we'd love to hear from you so thank you as usual, thank you for listening um, you guys are great and uh, we'll be back with our next episode in a fortnight, take care bye bye if you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Macabre London then why not let us know on Twitter by tweeting at Macabre London Every review left helps us to be noticed and for the podcast to be discovered by many others. If you'd like to join us on Facebook, search for Macabre London in the top bar, or you can put Macabre London Podcast into Google and we should appear. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Macabre London is hosted on Acast and written, performed and produced by me, Nikki Drews, with additional script editing by Neil Murray. Music for each episode can be found in the show's description box on iTunes, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.